Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome once again to Madam Perry Salon, the podcast that loves you, the podcast with more celebrities than the last inauguration. And even just the last few months of guests proves that. Uh, I am your host, Groove Mistress, Spiritual Advisor, and Cruise Director, Madam Perry. But you can also call me Jennifer, Jan, JP, Perry. I'm just glad to be here and glad you are as well. Thank you to everyone who's been subscribing on different platforms especially now that I've been added on to Spotify and iHeartRadio. Thank you so much. And for the nice reviews, I've even heard a couple of, uh, read a few extra reviews just or that are more recent on uh, Apple, Apple iTunes or Apple uh, Podcasts. Thank you so very much for those. And um, it's just been so much fun. Everybody has just been so supportive, nice reviews, comments, Um you send nice messages to my guests. Who have we had lately? We had Mike Kaplan, comedian Mike Kaplan, whose latest album, as they still call it that, AKA, is um, nominated for a Grammy this year. And he's a funny guy. We also had Dave Cos, award winning saxophonist. Dave Cos was on here talking about his new album, A New Day, which he wrote with a lot of his uh, famous showbiz friends and performed. As a virtual hug to the world right now for all that everyone's going through and with uh, COVID and people locked in and sick and, and everything people have, are dealing with. So thank you, Dave Cos, for being on the show and for that. And if you if you go to his website, Dave, uh, I think it's called Cos Music or Dave Cos, each song on that CD has a different color associated with it. And if you send in a picture of yourself wearing one of those colors, he puts your picture on his website. Honest to goodness, he does. And if you go look on there now, you can see it. And he said if you keep on sending it, he'll do that. He'll keep on doing that. Uh, who else? Oh, we had Arden Marine from, um, well, Insatiable. She started with Mad TV is where most people know her from um, way back. And she's been in lots of TV shows and films. And... But right now she's on the Netflix show Insatiable. She plays the crazy Regina Sinclair, uh, who was hilarious. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she came on here to talk about her book, Little Miss Little Compton. And if you buy her book, she had some special tote bags made up for them. And she'll send you that, too. Uh, my friend Kenya Colbert. she got one and she put a picture of it up on Instagram. It's so cute. And coming soon, we've got... Uh, well, tomorrow night, Herbie Pilato, he wrote a book. He's written several biographies of uh, showbiz people. His new book is about Mary Tyler Moore. On the 14th, we have Jackie Monahan. Jackie Monahan, you may know from her uh, TV comedy specials from Last Comic Standing. I just watched a movie the other night called Wild Nights with Emily, where Molly Shannon, yeah, Molly Shannon, believe it or not, plays Emily Dickinson and Jackie Monaghan is in that. That's a very good movie to watch. So, lots of stuff been happening, lots of stuff coming up, and it's all thanks to you who keep me inspired and keep listening, and I thank you. So tonight, a lot of people have been messaging me about this. I've even gotten texts from people saying, okay, I've fed the kids, you know, I've set up my stuff uh, for tomorrow, everything is ready, so I can listen to this show tonight, so... Okay, it's about to be on. My guest tonight was, for 30 years, he was an investigative journalist at the Clarion Ledger newspaper in Jacksonville, Mississippi. And um, then, he, he's not there now, as he just told me, and I know because he's with the Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting, which he co-founded, uh, but co-founded with, uh, excuse me, with Ian Isaacs. I said to... I, wrote the introduction, and then I went to write it over, and then I got him confused. Sorry about that. So 
um, he is the winner of a MacArthur Genius Award as well as a John Chancellor Award for Journalism from Columbia University. Uh, Let me just go ahead and bring him in before I keep (laughs) making mistakes. And I am delighted to have him for the first time. I don't know if he knew he was coming to a genie bottle here, but delighted to welcome Jerry Mitchell. Jerry, welcome to Madam Perry's Salon. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here. Um, I don't know if I told you before, but when the show first started, one of my first guests went back and told everybody, I've been to Madame Perry's salon. It looks like the inside of Jeannie's bottle. So after that, <laughs> a lot of guests are going to play along with that. Cushion, <laughs> so, sit down. You're going to be here for a little bit. I just I finished reading your book, Race Against Time. I started reading over parts of it again. Uh, Race Against Time described as an astonishing, courageous story capturing a historic race for justice as the past is uncovered, clue by clue, and long ignored evils are brought to light. Uh, It's a book, I think I told you last week, it's not a book that you always say you enjoy. It it reminds me more of Heather Heyer's uh, last statement on Facebook before her death. If you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. Yeah. So... The, uh, Absolutely. I hope it outrages people. It should be outraged. It's uh, it's, it's an outraging book. Uh, as I always tell people, uh, I hope this book outrages you and, and inspires you. So that's my hope. Yeah, definitely. And so, because I, I think I told you, I said it's some magnificent work. <laughs> and, and it is the work you put into it. It's just reading the story. It's, it's uh, you know, I know you had some, uh, a great review by John Grisham. I mean, this is the stuff yeah. that serious uh, action books, action films are made of. While you were working at the Clarion, you saw the movie Mississippi Burning in a theater and with two uh, either current or former FBI agents. Yeah, former, yeah, former FBI agents who worked on that case, which was the Klan, uh, Klansman, about 20 Klansmen um, killed. Uh, three young men, three civil rights workers, James Cheney, Andy Goodman, and Mickey Schwerner, and buried their bodies about 15 feet down in an earthen dam in, in Mississippi. And that was in 64, 1964. So there was a movie about that. And um, saw it and, and really was outraged. <laughs> Just like I'm talking about my book, Outrages. Essentially, that's it. I was outraged. I saw the movie and was outraged. It, nobody had ever been prosecuted for murder. It was a triple murder, but nobody had ever been prosecuted for murder. So that, that kind of blew my mind, um, and I couldn't really wrap my head around that. And I kind of began my education, but also kind of drove me forward into wanting to look into that case and then other cases. Well, yeah, because that happened. Well, that, that case happened in 1964. Uh, they said about maybe right. 20 Klansmen, three civil rights workers, and um, it was just just one of the most brazen acts of violence. And even though people knew who the killers were, a lot of people knew who the killers were. Even the sheriff's deputy, it's sort of an open secret. Uh, No one was charged. Yeah, that's right, which is just unreal. And uh, so that's kind of – that kind of – you know, began my, like I said, it's kind of the beginning of my journey and, um, you know, began to lead me, led me down that path of looking at that case and then, then at other cases as well. Well, let's talk about how, how did you get, what was your first step when you started reading that? I mean, when you, when you yeah. started checking it out, what was yeah. your first step to go forward? Well, the, the, the second thing that happened is I stumbled upon this, defunct um, segregationist spy agency in Mississippi called the Mississippi Sovereignty Commission, which was headed by the governor. And all these records that the commission had were all sealed by the Mississippi legislature for 50 years. So it was like 132,000 pages of records. So when I found that out, I thought, well, there must be something in there that, you know, <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the lawmakers mm-hmm. wouldn't be trying to seal them for 50 years. So uh, 
I developed sources who had access to the files and began to leak me the files. And what they showed was that at the same time, the state of Mississippi was prosecuting Byron D. Lebeckwith for the murder of Meg Rivers, this other arm of the state. The Sovereignty Commission was secretly assisting the defense, trying to get Beckwith acquitted, and nobody knew that. And so that story ran October 1st of 1989 and, and eventually led it led to a series of events that led to the reopening of that case. I mean, by the end of that month, uh, the district attorney reopened the case. Now, I'm sure your bosses, your editors, whomever, they weren't expecting you to get a lot of attention off those articles or not. <laughs> Did they well, get more I, than they expected? My, yeah, I, I think that's accurate. I think they got more than they expected. I, um, it, you know, most of my editors are pretty supportive. I did have one that wasn't quite as supportive, but um, but for the most part, very supportive. You know, uh, everything was supportive, and and so yeah, I had no idea when I began that the case would get reopened and then eventually reprosecuted. I did go interview uh, Byron D. Labeckwith, who's the the. Uh, well, let me back up a little bit. I, well, I, yeah, I should yeah, yeah. This as well. So uh, at the time that I wrote this story, you know, the odds were literally more than a million to one against the case ever being reopened and re-prosecuted. Um, you know, there wasn't anything in the court file of any kind of value. It was like nine pages of paper. That was it. <laughs> nine pages. <laughs> nine pages? That was, all that, was, that was all that was, yeah, it was all that was left of the court file uh, from the 60s. And there was no evidence left. There was no murder weapon. There was no transcript. Uh, but Marley Evers, the widow Meg Evers, believed and she prayed and some amazing things happened. A couple months later, Jackson police are cleaning out a closet and have to find a box that contained a crime scene photograph. So they killed him of Meg Evers, including a fingerprint of Byron Dale Beckwith lifted from the murder weapon. A couple wow. of months after that, Marley Evers shared with me her copy of the court transcript that she had saved in a safety deposit box. And a few months after that, the prosecuting case found the murder weapon in his father-in-law's closet, oh. which sounds like I'm making, which sounds like I I'm know. making it up. But, you know, so, but yeah, it really did happen. Um, so yeah, It's like if it was a movie, it'd be like, oh, did somebody yeah, just put that line in the last time? Oh, we didn't put a connection here. Just say you found it. Okay. Yeah, 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 it's what I always tell people. You know, you can't make this stuff up. It's just unreal. Um, but I did go to interview uh, the killer himself, uh, Byron Dale Beckwith. Um, he lived in Signal Mountain, Tennessee, which is just outside Chattanooga. And so we talked for, I don't know, six hours or something like that. Absolutely the most racist person I ever spent serious time with. And he was inward this, inward that. And then it started in on all the other races, non-white races. And, and um, it was starting to get dark, and I thought it was probably a good time to go. And he insisted on, like, walking me out to the car. And I'm like, really? That, that, that's okay. I think I can find my way. <laughs> so he walked me out to the car anyway and gets me out there and says, if you write positive things about white Caucasian Christians, God will bless you. If you write negative things about white Caucasian Christians, God will punish you. If God does not punish you directly, several individuals will do it for him. <laughs> and so his wife had made me a sandwich. <laughs> I think you can guess what I did with the sandwich. You know, I think uh, that that'd be the thing where I'd be afraid. Well, if I throw it out the window, with some poor innocent animal find it? <laughs> you don't want to see that in the news and go, "Wow, wonder how that happened." Yeah. Also, yeah. When, when you got to his house, didn't they also give you some kind of a strange orange drink? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm. Oh, here we are. You know, uh, at some point. You know, his wife brings him uh, what appeared initially to be orange soda. 
But I started like looking at it more closely as, you know, it's sitting there and it's like bubbling furiously like some kind of mad scientist potion, you know. <laughs> and so I'm kind of like going, what's that? You know, and, and, uh, and so he says, well, he confirmed it was orange soda, but it mm-hmm. was combined with food-grade hydrogen peroxide. Oh, God. I, I am not making that up. That is really what happened. And then uh, and then it was all like, oh, I'm going to get my you – know, Bell will bring you one. So, you know, oh. next thing I know, I've got to – I've got to – Orange soda with uh, food grade combined with food grade hydrogen peroxide for me to drink. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, I, I I didn't really drink it. <laughs> as as <laughs> soon as I read that, I could just picture you, and I just imagine I would be scared out of my rabbit ass mind if somebody brought some bubbling drink to me. <laughs> yeah, that was wild. It was absolutely wild. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So then, um, you stayed there for quite a while, like you said. You got there. It got dark, and how, I mean, even to have him say, "Yeah, come on over and talk," that had to be pretty. Um, uh, yeah, I I was going to be in Tennessee anyway. Um, like I didn't tell all the details of this in the book, but I was going with my best friend from college. Uh, to to actually to a Paul McCartney concert, but he lived in Nashville, so I knew I'd be, you know, I was in Tennessee. I was thinking, well, I won't be that far out of the way, um, uh-huh. and so I had to go to Nashville anyway. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll see if he'll let me come by and talk to him, and he did, and so that was kind of what led to that. And um, mm-hmm. the other kind of interesting little side detail that didn't make the cut of the book is that it was the same night that Twin Peaks debuted. It was the exact same night that Twin Peaks, you know, that creepy David Lynch TV series, you know, yeah. you know, where they find the body wrapped in plastic and all that stuff, you know. <laughs> same night. Anyway, it was it was it was wild. It was surreal. But you know. did did you have a cell phone back then? Because that was early eighties. No, no, no. I don't think so. What was it? This was ninety this was 1990, 1990. You know, I, I don't think we had a cell phone by that point. I mean, you know, we didn't really start getting cell phones until we had pagers. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't have uh, cell phones. Not at that point, I was saying. I imagine your wife. Later. Yeah, your yeah, wife was waiting for a horrified. call. Yeah, yeah, she was pretty horrified. I mean, that, that I was going, period. Um, in her defense, um, she was eight and a half months pregnant. <laughs> so it was like the worst time imaginable for me to be going. Um, she had visions of me being, being killed and having to raise two children on her own. So I don't blame her for that. I don't blame her for yeah. being upset yeah. with me. I mean, yeah, because I, as, a, as a wife and, and my first husband was a policeman. So, I, I, yeah, I feel, I, yeah, mm-hmm. I feel for the lady. So, um, So then after that, uh, word traveled fast that you had been to talk to him, didn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just, it's just it's, it's within those circles. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So, um, so anyway, so that, that started uh, the ball rolling for... Um, they, you know, they reopened the case and really kind of began to finally do stuff. They went and interviewed uh, Delmar Dennis, who was one of the Klansmen who had overheard um, Byron David Beckwith um, brag at a Klan rally you know, about killing Mega Rappers. So, uh, and I knew him. So anyway, they, they went and talked to him. And um, yeah, it, it was interesting. Uh, all that stuff, that, all the stuff that kind of had to fall in place for the case to mm-hmm. happen, happened, and um, and we finally had a trial in '94. You know, I know you got to know uh, Merle Evers and her family, uh, mm-hmm. Vernon 
yes. Jamer's family. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I know, In fact, I was just talking to Molly Anderson's daughter today, Rena, and uh, we were just chatting. So uh, she's coming to my uh, – the paperback's coming out in February, so uh, we're planning out this event for here in Jackson. Uh, we've got launching launch the paperback in February, so we're pretty excited about it. Oh, good. So, um, yeah, there had to be a, a, a day that they, you know, all the families of the victims, all the families of the murdered people when they were in court, I know that was a day, even though it was a long time after the the, situ- the, uh, mm-hmm. the act, the murders, that was a day that they probably thought they would never see. Oh, yeah, none of them uh, thought it. And, and I might add, no, nor did I. I mean, it was uh-huh. in so much every one of these cases. It's not like something you would have necessarily envisioned because the odds were so astronomical against it. Um, mm-hmm. I remember telling my wife at the time that, uh, you know, uh, if, if Sam Banks was the second case I worked on, which was the Vernon Damon case, I remember telling her, if, yeah, if you if he get if he gets indicted, I'm going to retire, you know, because I just thought there was no way it was ever going to happen, you know. And uh, and, and he got indicted. Of course, she reminded me of that promise. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> A verbatim, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. in, in, in the um, – there were some strange – it, you know, Race Against Time, and by the way, if you're just tuning in live, I'm talking to Jerry Mitchell, author of Race Against Time. Uh, in the stories, just for a little, um, if you could say this, comic relief, there were some bizarre things that happened in the courtroom trial. Oh, I know. Really, it looked like they were our own right. worst enemy. Pardon? Oh, they were. They were. They were. It was just uh, unreal. Uh, you know, it's, it's just so much stuff you couldn't make up, you know, uh, you know, in, in terms of like the Daimler case, uh, who was killed by the Klan in, uh, in 66, he, he died, literally died defending his family from, uh, the, the Klan set his, their house on fire. So he died defending his family, uh, in that blaze. And, um, the Klan attacked him and his family because of his work on voting rights, and they didn't like that and attacked them. Um, but that case had so many bizarre things happen, and so many, to be honest, kind of funny things that happened. I mean, you know, it's not, you know, you have a guy that, that he told me he was, uh, well, first, he got arrested in that case, along with Sam Bowers, who's the head of the Klan, who ordered the killing. And then 12 days, he, and he didn't go to jail because he told the judge that he you know, was too sick and he was in a wheelchair and he had oxygen and all that kind of stuff. Oh, and okay. Like well, well Doug, wait, wait just a minute. Look, this makes me feel like Nancy Grace on show. Or she on. All right. If you see the picture, I mean, you described it, but when you see the picture, you know, even in the wheelchair, like one leg is kind of a little further away. They're not even like something's wrong, even more wrong with one of them. His big canister of oxygen, like a scuba diver, is laying across the uh, arms of his wheelchair like he's just got to hang on to it. Mm-hmm. And it's looking so pitiful. They go, oh, well, there's no way you can go to jail. Look at him. Yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> he did <laughs> take it away. <laughs> and then, and then a dozen days later, we catch him on the golf course. <laughs> we get photographs. We get like before. So we did like before and after photographs in the newspaper. You know, him and his him in his wheelchair, him playing golf. So uh, I mean, yeah, you got him in full swing on the pivot, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It was unreal. I mean, he actually told me he was going to play golf and where he was going to play golf the whole bit. I mean, like, it was the most bizarre thing. <laughs> I remember <laughs> going to tell my boss. I remember going to tell my boss, Debbie, who got the greatest boss ever, Debbie Skipper. And uh, so I go, to, I go in to t- tell Debbie in her office, I go, Debbie, you're not going to believe this. 
you know, the guy's name is Devers. Devers just told me he's going to be playing golf in the morning. And, you know, uh, I said, you want me to report this? And she goes, because I was writing a story for the next day. And she goes, uh-huh. no, let's just send a photographer. So we're like, okay, because he told me where he was going to be, <laughs> at what time he was going to be there. So we knew, I already knew, I didn't even have to ask a question. He told me completely what he was going to do. So um, we sent a photographer and got a picture of him, you know, playing golf. And, and so he got arrested. So, <laughs> yeah, he was not happy with me. Okay. Here's here's a something. This is something that's got to be just, I don't know how, something that's uniquely a a Jerry Mitchell gift, I guess. I have some way, something about me that makes people I've never met tell me things. Tell me things I don't really need to know. It could, I, I could be minding my own business and people would just sit down and tell me things I don't care about. But now these are people who have kept, even though it was more of an open secret a lot of the time and they bragged sometimes, if people ask them, no, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. How would I know anything? I was over the end. They had their alibi set up. I don't know anything about those people. But you, even mm. with this going on, you could ask them something, and he would go ahead and tell you he was going to be and what golf course. Oh, I know. Well, I didn't know he was going to play golf. He, he just volunteered it all. He completely volunteered it. I, I blew my mind. Blew my mind, absolutely. And uh, I remember Debbie telling me, she was like, yeah, those Klansmen always talk to you, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> Which was true. Which was true. I mean, it was, they, they talked to me when it would have been better off not talking to me from their, from their own personal yeah, perspective. Even somebody that says, "What was it? Was it Billy Roy Pitts that said you ruined my life?" Yeah, she told me I ruined his life. <laughs> yeah, tell us about that because that is another thing. You've just got the you got the gift. You had to use it. So, oh well, yeah, it's, it's God given for whatever reason. Uh, the so what happened was. Um, I was researching how much time these guys actually did behind bars in the Daimler case. Because it was a bit of a joke. Uh, you know, some of them got pardoned. Like one guy got convicted of arson, and the, uh, the governor pardoned him after two years. Another one, another governor pardoned the guy uh, who, by the way, he represented uh, on work release, you know, they, they got released early from prison. I mean, it was just a joke. Um, so I got to Billy Roy Pitts. I was just trying to find exactly how much time each of those guys spent behind bars. And I got to Billy Roy Pitts, who was the one who turned state's evidence and testified against the other guys. And I knew he had federal time. And I knew he got a five-year sentence for that. And of course, the, the, the sentence doesn't tell you how long they actually spent in prison. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. they may not have spent all that time. So I was contacting the Federal Bureau of Prisons to find out, okay, how much time did he actually spend behind bars? And what I had been told was when he left federal prison, he went into the Federal Witness Protection Program. And that's why I was told I couldn't find a record of his state time. So I'm talking to this archivist in the Federal Bureau of Prisons, and she goes, I'm asking her about how much time he spent on bars, and she told me three and a half years. And then I, I asked, well, then I understand he left federal prison and went into the witness protection program, and the archivist said that's impossible. I said, what are you talking about? I said, there was no federal witness protection program back then. I'm uh-huh. like, oh, so what it meant was Billy Lord Pitts had never served a single day of his life sentence in Mississippi, which was kind of a big oversight, wouldn't you say? Uh, so I didn't know if this guy was alive, he was dead, or he was. So I, I got on the Internet. This is relatively early days of the Internet. But I knew there was a website that I could go on, and even if I didn't know the city or state, I could type in the name and kind of take my chances. And I would punk. Billy Roy Pitts had his address down in Springs, Louisiana, had a telephone number. So I called him. First 20 minutes of the conversation went like this. How'd you find me? How'd you find me? Like, it's on the Internet. The Internet, I list the telephone number. 
<laughs> like, well, I guess you take it up with them. So as a result, and uh, as a result of my story that he had never started a single day of his life since, Mississippi authorities issued a warrant for his arrest. And he didn't like that. In fact, he ran. And so while he was on the run, he sent me this audio cassette in the mail, and this is how it, and, and so it arrived. And, um, and I played it, and this is how it began. Jerry, I'll just to let you know you've ruined my life. But I promise if I talk to anybody, I'll talk to you. So here's this tape. And on this tape, he proceeds to tell me all about his involvement in killing Vernon Damer, all about his involvement in all this other clan violence. So shortly after this, he turned himself into authorities, and this now leads to the arrest of Sam Bowers, and who is then later convicted in that case in August of 1998. Since I concluded. Was it Bowers, whose attorney was also an old Klansman yeah. that, that had been with them? Part. That was yeah. another funny part yes. of the trial. Yeah, and please the, share that. Again, these are these are horribly, horrible, tragic circumstances, but it's funny in the trial. So here we are in the middle of the trial, and the prosecutor is having Pitt's kind of detail – who all was at this planning meeting? This took place about a month prior to the attack on Vernon Damon's family. And Pitts is like listening to everybody. He's like, well, you know, I was there. Sam Bowers was there. Deborah Snicks was there. Travis Buckley was there. The, the lawyer's name was Travis Buckley. Right there. Travis Buckley was there. Well, apparently, Travis Buckley, who's representing Bowers, didn't hear this, hear his name the first go around. And the, the court reporter goes, what were those names again? So then she goes back for them, you know, <laughs> Billy Roy Pitts, uh, you know, Sam Bowers, Devers Nix, Buckley. Now Buckley shoots up like a rocket. <laughs> Objection, Your Honor. <laughs> you know, I've covered a lot of trials in my life. The only trial where I ever covered where a witness actually implicated the defense lawyer himself in the case. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, you can't. That's why I say that nonfiction. I love it so much. It's just you cannot make it up. You no, cannot no, make it you up. can't. Everything. And if you if you used even some of this material, you would say no, no, you can't use that. If you try to do something novel or something, you know, like the one of the killers in the the, the guy that kind of orchestrated the killings of the three civil rights workers. His last name is Killen. Killen. That's his last name. And one of the victims is named Goodman. You know what I mean? So it's just like I said, if you did that in a novel, people would go, no. You know, they would think that was way too long. No, your, your editor would send it back that your your, your agent exactly. would go, we're no, not going to play it. Nah. Change the name. Gonna have yeah. It's yeah, like, so, yeah, we're not even going to send this to the beta readers. This is not going to go. You're not going to get published anywhere. Yeah, they wouldn't. And the thing is, too, and you feel like, you know, yeah, yeah. I hate the part about, you know, something being funny. But on the other hand, they did some horrible things. So if they were humiliated by yeah, this or did. being laughed at or anything, exactly. as long as justice. Yeah. Because James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, Michael Schwerner, I mean, Cheney and I mean uh, Goodman and Shorter, they came down. They were civil rights workers to to help get yeah. black people registered to vote. Exactly. Yeah. And when the whole thing was set up in the big, I mean, it was set up when they were put in jail. They knew when they were going to get out, and then the at a, like ten o'clock at night they were going to be released, and then they had it all set up. They'd already gotten the what the the. Uh, uh, what the ditch digger, the um, everything ready to plow. Oh, the guy, the, the, yeah, yeah, they got it all ready. They got they they had uh, yeah, they had a bulldozer driver and everything, and they they buried him fifteen feet down with a bulldozer. Yeah, so a bulldozer. That's it. Yeah, they had this thing all set up, you know, and it was just uh, it it was. There are no words bad enough. It was heinous. It was cruel. It was unnecessary. It was just hate. It was just a hate. Um, and I know they never thought they would see that day 
when they were in court, or their families mm-hmm. either. Yeah, it's, it, it was incredible, uh, you know, to to be there with the families. You had three families there, obviously, in the courtroom. Um, you had uh, Mickey Schwarner's widow, uh, uh, Rita, who was there, and then you had Angela, uh, Cheney, uh, James Cheney's daughter, and then you had, um, and then you had, uh, in terms Mother. of, Goodman, yeah, the mother, uh, Dr. Goodman, Dr. Carolyn Goodman is there, and then the brother uh, of, of Andy, uh, David, is there as well. So, um, yeah, and then Miss Cheney, Miss Cheney as well, she testified as James Cheney's mother, testified as well. So it was incredible. It was just incredible uh, to see all that unfold. It, yeah. Yeah. By the way, this is a good time to stop and say, for people who are listening, if you do want to call and and talk with Sherry Mitchell, ask a question or comment, you know, the number is 646-716-9922. Or if you have something you can't make a call, you want to send me a message on Facebook through uh, Madam Perry Salon or Jennifer Monette Perry, I'll share it. And also, um, you know, most people listen to this as they tell me when they're driving or when they're running or something. And so if you're not in a place to write it down, I will share all the information to get Race Against Time by Jerry Mitchell on all of my social media, not only from Madam Perry's salon, but personally. And, um, and yes, I know the book didn't just come out, and the paperback's coming soon, but, hey, it's the pandemic. As long as you've got an a Internet, you can keep on promoting your books forever. So. <laughs> And I was thinking too, and of course I don't want to uh, also don't want to leave out when I mentioned this the uh, the church bombing that killed the four young girls Addie Mae Collins, Denise McNair, yeah. Carol Robertson, and Cynthia Wesley. It's very important. But with Medgar Evers too, and Vernon Damer's family, as you got to know them, I know they never again never thought they would see that day. But Medgar Evers' wife, uh, Miss Merle Evers, she you know she had to put a lot of trust in you after a lot of time of of. Uh, yeah years of pain and I think you two worked remarkably well together, you know, for your common good. Thank you. Yeah, well she's an incredible woman. I still speak to her. I just remind me I need to call her and uh, uh talk to her in a few few weeks since I talked to her. Um but she's an incredible woman, courageous woman, uh just so inspiring. I, I just getting to know these families has been such an honor. Um it's getting to know them and getting to know Merle Evers, and I, I, you know, she and I just connected. I think in a in a very deep way, um, you know, and, and I just feel very honored and privileged to, you know, to have been a part of that um, process or whatever in that journey uh, with this family, you know, struggling to get mm-hmm. justice after all these years. And I think you know, some people will say say, you know, oh, well, you know, Jerry, why don't you leave these old guys alone? And I'll tell them, hey, these were young killers. They just mm-hmm. haven't yet mm-hmm. Um Oh, yeah, and, and actually, in some ways, I, I got to tell you, even though I knew it wasn't a novel, there was, I did talk to you when I was reading the book, because there was a part where you were, you couldn't get a transcript of the trial. They said they didn't have all this. Yeah, there was always something. It was lost. They didn't have it. Mm-hmm. There was something. Yep. And then you find out that Merle Evers has it. Has a transcript. I know she's. I know, you. which I didn't know. She just told me. Yeah, exactly. And when you get it, I'm thinking, oh, don't mail it to him. Make a copy. Do this. Don't do that. And then I found out you have a photographer, and you had documentation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Do the she integrate. came and brought. She came and brought her original, and she was very concerned that it not disappear. Like the gun, you know, the, mm-hmm. the murder weapon had disappeared from the vault. So, very concerned about that. So, she came and we, you know, had a photographer there and took a picture of her with it just to make sure that, as she put it, that it didn't disappear. Yeah. So, that was, I'm going, you know, it, it was like a, like a, a watch on an action film, just relieved. Okay, good, good. They did that. They did that. So, um, <laughs> well, good. You, but you, dug up, there were so many things, and you know, I told you back in the seventies. You know, when I worked in the courthouse, and I saw some strange people and clans people that were my boss's friends coming in and out of the court. 
uh, when I was a legal secretary, and it was a lot of weird stuff because you never knew, and especially in this case, you, who was covering up for who, who was in something, who was, um, you know, like like mm-hmm. the sheriff at the jail for Cheney, Goodman, and Schwerner. Um, you didn't know who to trust. But when you found groups like mm-hmm. Mississippi Sovereignty Commission and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's just unreal. I mean, you know, getting those documents, I wound up loading, you know, 2,400 pages of those documents, you know, in the back of my little Honda <laughs> and, and driving away. I, you know, I just, you know, just so many different things in that. It was so incredible to, to get my hands on those. Uh, uh, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I was a young reporter, and I was just like tickled to death. You know, you felt like you, you kind of got the gold mine uh, in your hands. And I remember, I remember, I called the office. I called, and the, the editor answered. And I just said, I've got him, I got him. That's all I said. <laughs> and they're like, You got what? Like, the sovereignty commission records, you know? Because uh, I, I didn't expect that I was going to get him. And I did. And then I was just like a little kid, you know, like a little kid. So it was, it was unreal. Yeah. yeah, but this is this is like you know um, Indiana Jones type stuff. I mean, you kind of went out yeah. into the into the wilderness of the court system and and going back to the past and the Klan and all the cover up. Yeah, yeah. wow, it was just all wild. Yeah. yeah, it really was. It was a wild journey. I, I, you know, now I can look back on it. I think with with some. You know, obviously it happened to me personally, so I, you know the limited objectivity. But I would, I, you know, I, I feel like I'm I'm fairly objective looking back at it now. I mean, I just think I look back at it now and I go, man, I was just crazy. I, <laughs> you know, I was, there was no stopping me. I was just like, I was gonna, I was, you know, gonna gonna go do it. So uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Did any of these people, uh, the people that were involved, um, Klansmen, did they ever, did anybody ever just look you in the face and go, why are you doing this? You're a white man. Don't you get it? <laughs> I I got, uh, well, I, I never got confronted by them. Uh, I did, I did one time I was on a radio show and uh, had, had a guy, a black radio show, and the guy goes, Jerry, you're white. Why are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> and uh and, and my point back to him, which I it's a great question actually. But I think the you know, my point back to him is look, justice is um I mean obviously injustice has happened has happened because of the color of people's skin over you know, for for quite a while in America. But having said that um, justice itself shouldn't be influenced by that. Like, it shouldn't matter what skin color is in terms of justice. It shouldn't matter at all. It has mattered, but it shouldn't matter. And and so that's the way I viewed it. It's like, it just, I think when people got away, especially when they get away, when they get away with crime, period, but especially when they get away with murder, for me personally, it's just, it just mm-hmm. sticks in my craw. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just kind of, it's in my gut, and I'm just like, man, how did this, why did this guy, it just makes me angry. It's like, how did this guy get away with murder? How did these guys get away with murder? And I just get upset about it. I just get angry about it. And it makes me want to do something about it. And, you know, I, and yet, these people did nothing wrong. They were, they did nothing wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. Nothing, yeah. but. Uh, they wanted to vote. Um, they wanted the same rights as anybody else. They worked hard. Um, exactly. For an entertainer, exactly. he was a yeah. He was a veteran. Um, his son served. You know, they could serve. They could fight the Nazis for us. But when they came back, you know, they were nah. And you know, Vernon had a store. Um, he had a family he loved and. And uh, a mill, everything he, these people did. And then, of course, especially not, you know, um, Addie Mae Collins and Denise McNair, Carol Robertson, Cynthia. Oh, Wayne, yeah. They were those the those girls. pure innocence. Um, who called you? Didn't someone call you a redheaded devil? Yeah, yeah, Beth. 
Well, I, I'm trying to remember. Beckwith called me that, I think, and then um, and 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 uh, Edgar Ray Killen said something pretty similar to that. Yeah, he was, uh, could I was similar. A, Jew, a, a communist Jew. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> communist Jew. So anyway, oh. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't give you your full title. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know. You you left some part out. So anyway, yeah, but it was yeah. I, I mean, these plans guys call me names. I didn't come out, you know. It's uh, it's uh, it's fascinating. But yeah, that's the you know that goes through the territory. You know, as a reporter, you're uh, you go in and you dig in stuff, and people are gonna people are gonna call you names. You expect that. Now I know that the families, <clears throat> the families and the friends of the people who passed. They were grateful for your work, and and of course, and, and anybody that helped you along the way, or showed you something, or, or let you look, um, mm-hmm. didn't somebody go and apologize to Mrs. Dahmer? Yeah, yeah, Mrs. Dahmer. It happened actually after yeah. the trial. Um, Bowers was convicted in August of '98, and then not. Months after that, there was a hearing where Billy Roy Pitts, again, he was the guy who testified against Sam Powers and the other Klansmen, um, and had pleaded guilty. He had been caught. He was involved in the killing. He got caught. Um, but he testified in the hearing. He walked to the back of the courtroom and he ran into Mrs. Daimler. And he apologized to Mrs. Daimler and asked her to forgive him for killing her husband. And uh, she. And she began to cry. He began to cry. Mm. Oh, it's just such an incredible moment. Just a reminder of, you know, what really what redemption is all about. You mm-hmm. know, it's not you know, trying to you know, trying to make things right even when they've gone so terribly wrong in the past. There had to be just a moment where it felt probably, I would imagine it felt like time stood still for just a moment in that room. It, it, it did, it did. I mean, that was, you know, there are moments in your life that you remember as clear as a bell, you know, like, you know, the, the birth of our children, for example, and things like that. But that was one of those moments. I remember it so distinctly, um, her crying and him crying, and then the other children were crying, and I even cried. I, I mean, it was just it was very moving. Uh, mm-hmm. to, it's one thing, I guess, I guess the way I took it this way was it's one thing for someone to apologize, right? But right. it's quite something else. And usually it's not for murder, right? You know, you don't mm-hmm. see that every day anyway. Mm-mm. But when she forgave him, that was just incredible. And I asked her about it later, actually. I said, why did you do that? I was just curious to know. And she said, well, I'm a Christian. And uh, I can't really say I'm a Christian unless I forgive. And I was like, wow. Oh, whoa. whoa. So, yeah. What a lady. So I've been very fortunate, very blessed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what a lady. What are, your, um, what are your children think of all the work you've done? With this, <laughs> <laughs> well, at the time it was it was kind of you know it was uh, not not your average dad kind of thing, um, but no, the kids are great about it. Uh, they embraced it. They uh, all came. Or they live in the Dallas area, so my kids came um, to the book signing in Dallas. I had fam- other family in, in Dallas area, so it was yeah, that was a lot of that was a lot of fun. Uh, I get to you know my book tour began. That was one of the early stops with Dallas. So um, that was fun. It was a lot of fun. Okay. Well that's fantastic. Well 
Um, I am just so grateful Thank you. for your story, for your book, for for it, it. I know it had to be scary to you, not just scary to your wife, mm-hmm. and um, not to mention your your editor because you know you'd be hard to replace. I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> don't eat that sandwich, Jerry. Don't eat that sandwich. Okay, wait, Jerry. If you've got just one another minute, I do have somebody sure. calling that wants to speak to you. Sure. Hey, and sure. welcome to Madam Perry's Salon. You're here with me and author Jerry Mitchell. Hi, Jerry. This is Kenya. I have listened to the show, and oh my gosh, I can tell you that I really didn't know where to go with this with the story. It's it's one of those stories that we've heard it so many times and we've heard different versions and it, it pulls this feeling from from me. I'm black, so it pulls this feeling from me that mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. wanna hear this story, but something about this story is so painful that yeah. I cannot imagine being a reporter and having to mm-hmm. disconnect, and and I I mm-hmm. really I I'm impressed that you're able to do your job and still mm-hmm. have these emotions that you're able to to harness and and be mm-hmm. able to complete the job. There there are mm-hmm. times, and, and and I do appreciate that you wrapped all of that up with redemption. That that's mm-hmm. what. I was I was I don't know what I was waiting for. I was listening and I wanted to call in, but I couldn't find that moment, that moment that said, "But what was the purpose of all of this for mm-hmm. the lives that were lost?" Like all of these mm-hmm. things that happen, and mm-hmm. you do want people to pay for the things that they've done. Yes. And then being yes. a reporter, so I, I had to disconnect from being an African-American. I had to disconnect from being a wife. I had to, because mm-hmm. I'm no longer a wife, but I was a wife. I had to disconnect mm-hmm. from being a mom, from losing a child. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had to disconnect yeah. from all of that to hear mm-hmm. this story. Because mm-hmm. as you were telling the story, I was stuck somewhere between, I am so pissed off to mm-hmm. How in the world do people live with themselves, especially in 2020, with all of these things yeah. coming back? And, and, it, and it, it frustrated me so much because I was thinking that history has a way of, of repeating itself yeah. in a way that people don't change. I, I think you hit the nail on the head, and Marley ever said it herself that, you know, the reason we're repeating our history is we don't know our history. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yep. And I think she I think she's right. And that's something I hope my book can help with and at least from some reaction from people it seems to have helped. Um, like for example, I had um a sixty six year old white woman from Georgia email me and she said, I am so ashamed that I never mm-hmm. knew this history. Yeah. Yeah, there, yeah. So many people don't know it. They don't know it. They don't teach us in schools. This is not in school. Exactly. Yeah. The parts they teach don't necessarily connect, and then everything is watered down so much. Yeah. And over mm-hmm. time, like anything, the more you tell a story, it either becomes a whole other story away from it, it's a it's original place, or it's watered down so bad that you become yeah. um, desensitized to it. Correct. I mean, the, but the hearing you talk about it, it brought it back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it needs to be told, and it's horror. You know, we don't, we don't. And as I say to people about my book, I hope it outrages them. I mean, I, I want Definitely. people to be outraged when I read my book. It's 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 meant to outrage. Um, and and I can see that. I love that you were able to stick with that and follow the little bread breadcrumbs until you got that right. story that you wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's important. It's what we do as reporters, and um, 
you tell the truth, you expose the truth, you shine a light in the darkness. And uh, and so often, as happens when you do that, the, the roaches scatter. So uh-huh. it's uh, it's so true. Uh-huh. And and that and we have you know we have to be more honest about our past in this country. We Definitely. we as you mentioned alluded to, we have a real tendency to kind of cover it up. I mean, there are still classrooms in America that teach that the Civil War wasn't fought over slavery, that it was fought mm-hmm. over state rights. And what exactly. I always tell people when they tell me that is I say to them, and what right was that? <laughs> you, know, you know, and it, 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 it's, it just amazes me. And I usually send people to read the article, Mississippi's articles, of, uh, of secession and literally the almost the first line in it the reason we're doing this is because of slavery you know oh, and really? so it's oh yeah you can just google it and look it up Mississippi's yeah. Articles of Secession and and so we just don't know our history and we and, and, and that's why we keep doing the same thing over and over again uh, we don't we don't know it uh, the civil rights movement, here's a quick example with regard to the civil rights movement. The way a civil rights movement typically is taught is Rosa Parks sat down, Martin Luther King stood up, black Americans right. got their rights. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they agreed first. And there's so much more to it than that. And it so leaves out so many heroic people that fought. I mean, this simple example, for example, Rosa Parks was not the first black woman in Montgomery to refuse to give up her seat on the bus in 1955. She was actually the fifth. So it's, it's very interesting what you know. That no, that is, the full that story. is true. I think what, what yeah. really kind of got me was in the, in the black history part of it is definitely important to, to not repeat your history. But it's also important for people to hear that when somebody mm-hmm. killed and killed and killed and they didn't get a day in jail or they just Amen. walked away or they got away with it, that does okay. frustrate. It is something that oh, yeah. should be exposed more. So mm-hmm. and it and it does make it, it doesn't help a whole lot, but at some point I think there is justification felt at the end, even even when time has passed, when you see that evidence came up and that person ended up serving time, even as an old yeah. person. They yeah. finally got it back because mm-hmm. otherwise it's okay to kill. And it's exactly. never okay to kill. Exactly. exactly. And it's the way these families felt. You know, sometimes people say, well, wait a minute. I had, interestingly, I had a white woman um, who got mad about one of the stories I wrote because uh, she was telling me that some of these killers were fine people. Um, and, uh, and and it turned out her own daughter had been murdered. And I mean, I had no idea. She called me and she was talking to me and she mentioned this. I said, well, whatever uh-huh. happened? And she said, well, the killer... You know, went on trial, but he was acquitted. And of course, because he was acquitted, man, he couldn't be tried again for murder. You know, because that would be double mm-hmm. jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And so, I, and so I asked her. I said, "She said, I don't understand why these families can't let it go. I'd let it go." And mm-hmm. I said, well, what if you're this guy to be tried again for your daughter's murder? Would you be for that? And she said, mm-hmm. "Oh, absolutely. I'd be for it right now." I said, don't you think these families feel exactly like you do? Exactly. Definitely. Well, I do appreciate um, you telling your story, and I do appreciate Thank that. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Yeah, that you were able to to see it through, because a lot of times things are swept under the rug, and nobody ever knows. And Absolutely. The yeah, fact that you were able true. to stay connected is is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kenya, you well, thank you've you been active. Home. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Kenya. I mean, you, Kenya. Okay, mm-hmm. you've been active in the uh, women of the NAACP. Oh uh, yeah, or, for like or you 18 years. years. Yeah, yeah, for like um, 18 years, definitely. 
is there ever any talk with the groups about um, history? You know, what 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 can be done to I don't want to say upgrade the history books in class or share more well, information. Well, all I say is vote. Straight. Vote, vote, yeah. vote, 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 vote. I can't say that enough. And okay. when we put better people in positions in our government that allow information to to be shared, because when we censor things that don't make the country look good, look good, then guess what? We hide the information. So it's not necessarily whether or not I know all of my history, but if my history is allowed to be taught. And as generations go, the people who used to tell those stories, the people who used to be the ones who educated the rest of us, they're dying out. And and life has changed. It's it's different. I mean, it's different. It's very true. All right. Well, Kenya, thank you so much for calling. And Jerry Mitchell, thank you so much for being my guest here and for all your work. Thank you, Jerry. Good book. Thank you and, very much. Thank you for having me. And much continued success with the Mississippi Center for um, Investigative Reporting and also on the, the paperback copy as well as continued hardback Thank you. Uh, Race Against Time. And, uh, hey, I saw you on Stephen Colbert's show being interviewed, and then what? You're here oh, with yeah. me. Thank you. Thank you. So Thank you very much. much. Yeah, that was a lot of fun getting to be on the show. Yeah. All right. Thanks for giving me All so right. much cred. Thank you very much. All right. Much. And be I here tomorrow it. night, folks, with Jerry, uh, excuse me, Herbie Pilato and his book about Mary Tyler Moore. This is Madam Perry saying, be good to each other, be good to yourself, and I love you all. Bye-bye. Thank you. At all, what a night! Even lightning bugs have dimmed their lights. Stars have disappeared from sight, and there's.